Michelle Howard of the New York Islanders, and you're listening to the Half Court Press Podcast. This is John Boyce from the New York Islanders. You are listening to the Half Court Press Podcast. This is Patricia Wright-Alexis, former captain of the Trinidad Tobago hockey team, and you're listening to the Half Court Press Podcast. The New York Islanders are a hockey club based on the east coast of the USA. Having been around for close to five decades, the club was originally founded and organised by those from the Caribbean islands, an influence which still drives the club today. In this series, we find out more about the New York Islanders from those involved. Theo McLeod talks to a variety of hockey personalities who have coached, played for and generally been a part of the West Indian hockey community in New York. This is Ayana McLean and you're listening to the Half Court Press Podcast. We're back with the Half Court Press Podcast and we're back with the New York Islanders Hockey Club Specials. Today we have a, a firm favourite of the podcast and a friend of, of the show, world-class umpire, FA, FIH umpire, Olympic panel umpire, Ayana McLean. Hi everybody, I'm back again for my favourite podcast. <laughs> Ayana, how are you? How are you doing? I'm great. Um, going through the experiences of different levels of lockdown, but still doing really well, appreciating for what it is, slowly waiting for my return to the field in some capacity, be it playing and or umpiring soon enough, trying to stay fit and ready. <laughs> so for those of our audience members who don't know who you are, can you give us a little bit of background? Uh, where are you from? What, what's, your, what's your role in hockey? So my current and I guess highest role in hockey ever is that I'm an Olympic panel FIH umpire. I've gone through ranks and umpiring has been my focus for the last number of years. But I also do play um, currently in Trinidad and Tobago, which is my home country. And I'm a member of Ventures Hockey Club, which is the longest existed solely hockey club in Trinidad. Um, as well as in New York, I actually do a pretty New York Islanders. I play for another team, but I definitely socially hang out with the New York Islanders a lot more uh, than my own personal club because they hold a special place in my heart. Uh, so still, yes, umpiring, big time day job per se. Uh, playing is my recreational job. And then in my club back home, they're trying to get me on their board. So we'll see how that goes by the end of the year. <laughs> There is another Trinidadian uh, on this show um, who will be on this series with, with you, Patricia Wright-Alexis. Yes. Oh, yes. Patricia Wright-Alexis, uh, nay Borneo, who I believe... Yes, I was like, going to say Borneo, yes. Which is what I know her as because I've known her for a very long time. Who I believe plays for a, diff a rival uh, Trinidadian hockey club. We're all rivals, aren't we? She just does not play for my hockey club in Trinidad. Let's go with that. Now, you, you used to study in New York, is that correct? Yes, I attended Hofstra University, which is a private university on Long Island. And I got there via a hockey scholarship. So I played for their Division I field hockey team. And I continued on there to do my master's. So okay. that's my first start of hockey in New York. What, what, what did you study? Uh, my undergrad was in international business and I have an MBA in marketing. Okay. I think uh, I have a mine in economics somewhere there as well. <laughs> and who, who were your teams in New York? What was, who, did you, who did you play for? So I played for Hofstra University and we were in the CAA conference and I got major... Um, people in that conference will be Old Dominion University, James Madison University, Delaware University. Um, who else was there? Virginia, Commonwealth University, Drexel was there. I think one point Northeastern University was in our conference and then they left. Uh, yeah, those are the different teams that were in our specific 
CA Colonial Athletic Association Conference. Now, I believe that you also went on tour with the Trinidad and Tobago national team. Oh, yeah, I forgot that. <laughs> with Patricia, is that correct? Yes, she was on the team. So I made, I tried out for my under 21 team when I was back in my teenage years. I didn't make that team, but I subsequently made one national team after that, um, which was the Santo Domingo Pan American team. And yes, Patricia was on that team at that time as well. Yes, and my one stint as a national player. And you, but you're still going to you're still getting to go to the Olympics hopefully next year though as a as an umpire. Definitely not hopefully, but I will be there. Any update? <laughs> I have it. Any updates? Nothing yet. Nothing yet. I try to avoid the news as pertains to that. So right now we're going with it is happening. Um, I heard something that said it's happening, COVID or not, because hopefully by that time we'll have a handle of actually how to deal with it. Um, I think updates will come later on in the year or probably early into next year. That way it'll give teams and countries enough time to prepare. Like I would think a six month time period is good. Um, and I think through the end of the year, it's a good time to continue to roll out sports and see what works and what doesn't work for the sporting world. But I'm sure everybody who has qualified already for the Olympics is like sitting down patiently being like, yes, it is happening. Yeah, I, I think I heard something similar that the, um, that the Japanese government or the Tokyo organizing committee said the same thing. It sounds like they've had some discussions with sponsors or something like that. Yeah. I, I, I suspect that's a designing thing, although that wasn't part of the article. Um, now, so how did you, so how did you get in contact, uh, or how did you, what was your involvement with the New York Islanders? So one thing is a lot of the times when you have, we have had, I should say, sorry, we've had a number of. Student, students from the from Trinidad and Tobago that have gotten scholarships to go to the U.S. and luckily, like my university was in New York, so the interaction or the invitation to be a part of New York Islanders came very quickly. It was almost like the opportunity to be near family or like somebody that's from your country in a sport that you've known. So my introduction was drawing. Um, like vacation periods or so you'll go and play with different clubs um and one of the main clubs would have been new york islanders i chose to play with another club called big apple just because a lot of my university friends went to play there and the head coach for there was actually a friend of my mother's um growing up and they were overall involved in a lot of pan america things so i knew him personally but New York Islanders was definitely the team you would go to uh, after you finished playing your game to hang out. And as we say in the Caribbean or in Trinidad, to go and line with. Um, so that's the team you would go and hang out with after you play your games, drink beers. If I had to go and play for a fun team when my club was not going to like um, specific tournaments, that'll pro that would be the first team I would go and play for if I had to play for another team. Cause Again, a lot of my friends were there, which were a lot of girls who were on scholarship or people you just know from in and around the arena. Uh, a lot of the times they kind of take you under the wing when they know there's a Trinidadian or somebody from Barbados or Jamaica comes to the US to play. They usually take you under your wing, uh, under their wing and give them an opportunity to want to play, but also feel like you're back home and get that vibe of being back in the islands, because playing hockey in the US can get very, very serious. I've, I've lived abroad a few times. Um, well, let's be honest, British people don't, don't travel well. <laughs> uh, most, not many of us go to live abroad and those who do come back quite quickly. Um, mm. And it can, be, it can be tough. It can be um, when you're away from, away from what, what you feel comfortable with can be tricky. Mm -hmm. is it, okay. So it, sound, it sounds like what you're telling me is that the social aspect was quite, was comforting in some way. Oh, for sure. Um, 
I continue to say that I, when I left for university, I left going to practice with my club twice a week for about two hours. And then I walked into a system where they played six times a week or trained six times a week um, for three hours. If we're, when we were in preseason, we could have had two to three sessions a day for six days of a week. So I definitely went from social recreation into a very serious situation. Um, and then it's like you go, you practice in preseason, you recover, and then you go back and practice again. And then once school starts and season starts, you practice, you go to class, you play a game, and then you start that rotation. Uh, teams like the New York Islanders uh, provided that outlet, like you go and play and you don't get yelled at or you don't get pulled off the starting lineup because you miss a ball. Um, once it's finished, we're all hanging out and just, you know, exchanging stories, laughing, that type of atmosphere. So it definitely provided that comfort in back home. It's not all serious. Just because you missed a ball, you will survive type of vibe of it's yes, we're going to be competitive, but yes, we're also going to be competitive in our liming and like hanging out space. At the same time as I'm producing this podcast, I'm also doing um, a grassroots uh, series, which will probably okay. come out, which will probably come out before this one does. Um, that 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 social aspect that. Um, comfortability within your environment how important is that when playing and trying to get better i think it's vital um sometimes the pressure just gets to be too much so especially when i compare it to playing in the u.s for a college team conference level division one field hockey or division one sport you've put in so much work that it kind of sucks your joy out of it if you're not winning if it's like you're not the best team or whatever it may be so I see a lot of the times that after the four years of playing at college level, the number of athletes that continue past that come, like, falls off a cliff. Like, so you'll have 100% of them, you might get 10%, and that's being super generous, 10% of them coming out and continuing to play on a recreational, social level. There might be a little bit, a smaller percentage that will go on and try to make their national teams. But in general, there's such a fall off from playing in college to actually playing for fun and for recreation. Whereas with Caribbean and I think the club aspect of sport, you tend to go on playing a lot longer because that's the family you've been raised on. Like for me, I was born into hockey and now I'm in my mid thirties and still playing the sport where half a, more than half of the girls who I played with in college probably haven't picked up a stick since their senior day. So you, you played, you played more competitively with a different, different club in New York. Yes. Uh, when you were, when you got involved with uh, New York Islanders, was it, was it mm -hmm. really training? Did you play in, in any festivals? Was it, or, or was it just about going out for a bit of rum and a, and a beer? <laughs> so, I would play in festivals or invitational tournaments with them. Uh, sometimes my New York club would go, but if they did not go, I would go and play with the New York Islanders. Or if I simply went to a tournament to umpire at the tournament, most times I'll end up hanging out with the New York Islanders like after the fact. So did you, did you always feel a sense of... Um recharging your batteries while you're with them oh for sure it's just like that overall fun atmosphere there's playing of the music there's you know like our music is being played the stuff that we drink and stuff would be there the colloquialism the jokes the banter that goes back and forth it's just so much easier to get into because that's what you're accustomed to um so getting going and playing with them or hanging out with them Oh, as we say in Lyman with them, it was just a natural occurrence. Um, even for like their end of year functions and stuff, or if they have a hangout, I'll definitely be invited. A lot of my friends would play for that team. 
Um, so all the social ends of things, for sure, I was involved in once I was available. Um, I've gone to tournaments with them as well. Yeah, it's definitely the social aspect. So Andre Boyce, the, the uh, captain of the men's Barbados uh, hockey team, he's been telling mm -hmm. me that the uh, Mount Gay is the Barbadian rum. Mm -hmm. What's the Trinidadian rum? <laughs> so back in the day, it was Fat 19. Um, now it's like 1919 rum. Uh, what else do we drink? Everything. Um, now the young kids, and it's becoming more mainstream, you'll see what they call white oak, which is a white rum. And then if you really want to not recover from your life, it is something we call punching, which is just, they've gotten, <laughs> they've revamped their marketing quite a bit. Back when I was younger, it was like the no, no alcohol because it was so strong. Now it's the go-to alcohol. So you got White Oak and 1919 are the main rums. My uh, my aunt and uncle, when they first got married, they went to um, went to work in St. Kitts for a little while. Uh -huh. And, I, and I, I, at the time I was drinking a little bit of rum and they brought me back some Brimley Gold, mm -hmm. a, a, a vanilla rum. And uh, it was so sweet. I didn't realize how drunk I was getting. I was watching a movie. Got up to take, I got up to use the, um, use the toilet and I nearly fell over. <laughs> yeah, yep, sounds about right. I always like any friends that I have coming like, to Trinidad, I always let them know. It's like, don't try to drink with a Trinidadian because you will try, you will be confused as to how it is at the end of the night, they're still able to go and drive and you can't even stand. Um, I think we've just gotten it down to science in terms of you drink this amount <laughs> per hour, but it always seems like you have a drink and it's always filled and you're always drinking. But a lot of foreigners tend to do the, like, almost like the alcohol is going somewhere. So you need to get as much of it into your system in a shorter space of time. Uh, but we definitely don't have that nature. We drink all day if it is we're hanging out and we're able to recover accordingly. It's probably just in our blood. I, I used to play with a, uh, with a hockey defender. I, I was a goalkeeper. Mm. And uh, one of my defenders, he, he used to swear blind that he, uh, playing with a hangover would, would improve his game. But it would make him concentrate. He'd have to focus. So that, that, was, that, was, always, that was always his excuse for getting drunk on a Friday night. Um, <laughs> So I'm, I'm quite keen to, to, to talk about the culture of the New York Islanders. Um, okay. What gap, what void has the uh, existence of the club filled? I go back to, again, with like a lot of students traveling and obviously there's immigration across the board, like from, you know, people coming from the islands to live in the U.S. And I would say U.S. because a lot of times it's not only specific to New York. You have islanders come in to live in different parts of the U.S. And if they're hockey playing um, nations or hockey players coming up, there's definitely a great divide between the level and how the sport is treated in the U.S. versus what you have in the islands. So the New York islanders fills the gap of not feeling like you're into a completely different system. It almost feels like you're coming home to hang out and have fun with your friends, family, aunts, uncles, cousins. Um, so it helps just help you get acclimatized and not feel like you're in a foreign land by yourself. And they've always, as far as I know, welcomed uh, every Islander that is willing to play hockey, be it from Barbados, Jamaica, Trinidad, any one of those, you know, countries that are coming to play so it fills a gap of feeling that you still have a piece of home you still have a piece of family when you travel abroad because I know there's so many times that girls go to the university and they end up in the middle of Pennsylvania and after their first preseason they want to cry and run back home 
but it provides a little bit of like a light at the end of the tunnel that you're around people of the same culture. You can make the same jokes. You, there'll be somebody to like talk you off the cliff of like going back home and remind you that um, it's only for a time and you have support. So it definitely fills the gap as it pertains to support, family, social um, areas when you do migrate. What have, what elements has the New York Islanders hockey team, the club, what have they added to the culture of hockey in New York in, in the wider context of, of, of American hockey? One like main thing I think is just like the social aspect and being able to um, still have fun and play because they do play competitively. They've been in the top tier of the league in New York. And what you find in New York is, which I love about like playing and umpiring in New York in our any Northeast Field Hockey um, Association, which is NEFA League, um, is the fact that you have a team that's mainly made up of Islanders. Then you have a team that's mainly made up of Englishman, you have a team that's mainly made up of Dutchman, you have a team that's made up of like Indian players. So you get a lot of that cross-cultural experience, but still in a fun atmosphere. How I think New York Islanders stands out is just our overall culture of being social after. There's never a time where you just go to the game, play for an hour and a half, and then leave. There's always a group of people that are there I'll watch the extra games that will hang out. We could talk through them. You'll crack some jokes and it's a very welcoming team. So it is say your entire team leaves and you're just sitting there because you want to see the next game. There's definitely somebody who's probably going to come offer you a bear um, just to include and encourage like the social aspect of the game. So if a New York Islanders game is at nine o'clock in the morning, most likely at two o'clock in the afternoon, they're still there hanging out watching hockey and chatting it up so they do encourage like one that social aspect which is really important you want to enjoy what you're doing because this is not a not a rec not sorry not a professional sport at this level at the nefa league it's a recreational league and they help maintain the recreation part of the recreational league uh some teams tend to get really serious but i think they continue to maintain that this is for fun this is for you know, a release of all the hard work you've done all week. And yeah, you could still do it and be competitive at doing it. Is that, is that not a common thing then in, in the rest of the uh, Nefer League? I think it's team dependent. Um, some teams do it more than others. Uh, so, and it really boils down to culture. Some teams, they get up and leave right after... I think like the English team, they might hang out a little bit more uh, versus I would say like the Dutch team, they'll probably go or even like a strictly American team. There's some teams that are made up of mainly American and they're not hanging out. They play, they come, you'll have one or two that will stay back with another club, but generally there's not this great like social aspect after or like for us it's expected and just kind of naturally and organically happen uh versus other teams where it's it you know it's kind of forced let's do this after the game kind of thing there's a plan and an event and everything that goes out <laughs> swinging back round to that that cross-pollination that cultural diversity is there much diversity of style of play uh, of the way hockey is approached to in games across the Caribbean nations? Does Trinidad play differently to, say, Bermuda or Barbados or, or so forth? I don't think there's an extreme difference. There might be slight nuances, but um, the style is relatively the same across the board. Uh, or influences would obviously be um, an amalgamation of like the South American style, which tends to be a little bit prettier with terms of like skills and like individual skill. You'll get that from the South American influences as well as the North American influences, which are a lot more rigid and um, 
dependent on like your fitness level and that type of thing. So it's definitely a mix of those two styles, but there's not a crazy gap between like the way Barbados performs over the way Trinidad performs or skill level and thing like things like that. Because a lot of the times your coaches come from a lot of different other international spaces, like the Europe, so the South America. So that more influences the style. During our Pan American Hockey uh, series interviews, uh, I was speaking to Andre Boyce, the Barbadian men's captain, uh, mm-hmm. and we were chatting about his thoughts on the pro league and and how whether he was enjoying it. He was saying that he really enjoyed watching, well, particularly the goalkeeper keepers for the Indian team, but mm-hmm. but uh, more widely he really enjoyed the Indian style of play because he felt that that was a bit more similar to the Barbadian mm-hmm. style of play than some of the more Central European sides. Do you think that's a fair comment? Yeah, it's definitely a fair comment. I think we are a region where flair is a lot more important. So it's all good to see a well-built structure, but there's always that like need for somebody who does something that, you know, almost like embarrasses the next player. You know, some good skill, you like dribble around him and put him on his butt. Um, just seeing that individual, like fun little Indian dribble skills that will eliminate players. I think that's more our style versus like, let's say a more structured, I shouldn't say structured, a more rigid style that you'll get out of like Germany or a Holland style playing point. So we're more into like the Indian South American type of style for sure. One of the other interviewees for this series, one of the other people who is involved in, in the New York Islanders, was telling me, uh, actually another Trinidadian, I think it was, uh, was telling me that Quan Brown has had quite a, a, a positive effect on cross-pollination, mm-hmm. uh, going off to play in Europe, coming back, helping to provide opportunities for younger players to go off to Europe and come back. And uh, what he's noticed about the Trinidadian Trinidadian, Trinidad and Tobago national team is that it's got a nice balance between the team-based tactics of the European side, but also kept the flair and the style and the individual skills of the Caribbean nations. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Is that a fair comment? That's definitely a fair comment. I think um, Quan has definitely, like, help put Trinidad on the map as it pertains to hockey, especially across the European um, market. A lot of the guys that have come or guys and girls that have come and gone and played for the teams that he's been around, one, they're very much influenced by his individual skill. So a lot of them end up playing a lot like him, which is, there's a lot of flair in it. But also, I think it's the combination of his personal style that has a bit of flair in it, combined with the Europa, European English style, there's a little bit more, I don't want to, basic is not a wrong word, not a right word, but like more structured. Um, I think they benefit from that overall. And I think his overall, as you see, kind of cross-pollination between bringing that style back to the island and bringing the island style to England, you can definitely see a lot of influences in our play as a result. How does that translate uh, into the Nefer League with the New York Islanders? Um, it's slightly different, I think, because it's almost like a two-channel situation. A lot more females go to the U.S. just because of how the U.S. style hockey is. It just has a lot more opportunities for female players versus a lot more in- boys go over to Europe and England because of the track that is provided through Quan. Uh, so he will come in and take a couple guys over and with regards to scholarships, there have been a number of guys. So almost it's like a two track system. I'm not sure if they overlap that much. Obviously when Quan uh, does come over to the US himself and run camps and work with some of the schools and that type of stuff, uh, so there's a little bit of everybody knows who he is. So everybody's like, you know, if Quan's there, they want Quan to play for their team. And 
he has definitely an affiliation with the New York Islanders just because one of his really good friends um, growing up also plays and coaches in the U.S. and, and he plays with the Islanders as well. Um, so it's kind of two different tracks, not necessarily heading to the same space. Uh, just because of the competition level in the state, in, sorry, in England versus the competition level at like the NAFA, the New York League. I think it's a lot more serious, the hockey that's happening in England than the recreational expat league that we have in New York. Is the New York Islanders a precursor to a West Indies national hockey team? <laughs> Uh, precursor might be strong. That's like almost putting out there that we're heading towards a West Indies team. But I think it's fair to say it's a good window to see what is possible if we do have a West Indies team. Um, the being able to very easily integrate these three styles per se, not that there's that far off um, of hockey hockey playing nation. So and when I say three, I mean mainly the Jamaica, Barbados, Trinidad kind of time frame. And a lot of the times what happens is more of the elite athletes end up going to the US to play or from the region. So actually being able to see them all play together and not like through a rivalry Pan American tournament is actually interesting. So it's a good window to say maybe it's possible. But uh, precursor might be a little bit strong because I know that's not necessarily happening right now. We're still very much rivals. What are, how would you distinguish the three styles? You said uh, Jamaica, Barbados, uh, Trinidad and Tobago. How would you distinguish the three styles? Um, I think for me, Trinidad has benefited from knowing the, individuality, the individual nature of the sport. And, and coupling it really well with playing as a team. So between the coaches and the experience of players like um, Kwan, there is that, yes, I'm good at something. I'm good in my individual one-on-ones, but I understand the value of working as a team. I, gosh, I'll probably get in trouble for this. I personally don't think the other two islands have gotten that, especially Barbados. I think from the hockey that I've seen from Barbados, they're still very individualistic in their style. Um, And then Jamaica has that (laughs) Jamaican passion that is behind anything. They are a very, very competitive country. Um, so it tends to be a lot harder of a game. They're just not going to, they mightn't be as skilled as you are, but they're not going to let you get past them kind of thing. Uh, so I think they, Jamaica has a lot more of that overall passion and I'm using the word quite loosely aggression associated to them versus Barbados has a little bit more flair and you can see a lot of individuals in them that have a lot of potential in terms of their skill level. But then Trinidad, while we do have very skillful players, we have kind of mastered the art in the region of combining the two of individual skill and team skill as one. Before we move on, mm-hmm. do you think there should be a West Indies <laughs> national hockey team? I think there should be uh, an experiment or a test of this. (laughs) Um, I'm not again seeing how it would work, that format would work. I wouldn't completely tip my hat into it because we get so competitive uh, with each other. But I could, I definitely see the the opportunities for it and how we would benefit from it. So I'd like to see it experimented with. As someone who has had uh, practical knowledge, working knowledge, um, I suppose in parallel with how it works in Britain, 
the, mm-hmm. the TGB, and then it's broken yes. down into England, Scotland, Wales, um, Ireland mm-hmm. is a unified Ireland for for uh, political and sporting reasons, uh, which is different to football. Um, do you think something along those lines could work? Um, yes, I think it's possible, for sure. Um, how do I best answer this? Uh, I, I see how it works, but I also see how like GB struggles a little bit more versus the individual teams. And I think that just kind of has to do with distance, location, availability of players to be able to commit to certain things. They do well, obviously, at some points, but also they do not so well. Uh, at other points, you're like, why aren't they performing? Like they can perform a lot better. And I think it just depends on when they're able to train and how they're able to train and how much the players are willing to commit to it. It's actually tricky to see how um, England, you know, an English team versus a GB team. Um, and But then how many players dominate from England would dominate a GB team. So it's almost like a GB team with a smattering of the others to make a, sorry, it's an England team with a smattering of the others to make a GB team. And I don't know how fair that is. So they're running into a lot of like, more you run into more other things other than hockey being the hiccup it's like which team is going to dominate which team like you know where are you going to train and you end up training by the team that has the most players and but then that team will consist that country i should say will consistently have the most players because that's where we're training right um so there are a lot of nuances outside of just like yeah let's pull together the 10 best players from each club from each country and then go from there well, you, it's almost like a parallel, sorry, to like a national team sometimes. Like there's 10 different clubs and how is the national team going to meet up of these 10 different clubs? And a lot of these times you end up with a club system where whoever is the administrator of the national program, tends their club tends to be the dominated team on the national program. So there's always these nuances outside of just skill and ability that we have to consider. Yes, I think the I think the, the big argument right now, or a, a discussion right now with GB is because we've decided to have a centralised program that's run by England Hockey combined with GB. If you're the England coach, you're also the GB coach. Um, what we're seeing is a talent drain down towards specifically the southeast of England, even within England. Um, mm. the, 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 our big northern club Bowden Hightown in, in the women got relegated mm-hmm. uh, during the Covid season mm-hmm. um, it, that was the last big team in the, in the proper north of England we've um, seen similar discussions in, uh, uh, possibly in Wales uh, at very least in Scotland as well would, would this be a fear if for a West Indies national team? Um, I would say so to some extent because you see there are times when um, like Bobby does hockey team will struggle because of their turf and like this type of thing. There's a point where Jamaica hockey struggled and that's, and that's like to go through all the other islands. Trinidad hockey, I think we're on the verge of like that point where we're going to struggle because of like availability of like facilities and training and opportunities. So it's almost like a cycle to see who's gonna be on top at one point in time. Uh, Trinidad has been able to maintain like just consistency across the board, but a lot of the other countries would struggle a bit uh, because of one, are they able to go where they need to go? Um, do they have the investment opportunity in their sports and things like that? So different things start affecting it. And, like, will end up tipping to one direction all the time. Even if you look like at a cricket team and things like that, uh, we just finished up uh, CPL, the Caribbean Premier League uh, for 2020. And it was held in Trinidad, the Trinidad team won those type of things. And you tend to see 
over time, the larger group of players come from that team that will be the most successful. So come from that area that's the most successful. And it kind of like doesn't necessarily give the fair opportunity to the others. What you also get is like your situation. I'm sure there's going to be people from the North now wanting to shift the teams from the South and it's probably the better players who now don't have the opportunity to play in your Premier League because they've now been relegated. So there's always that shift as well where you see somebody might be originally from one area, but they shift to a different area just to get better hockey. So then they now represent that area um, and it changes their overall style and things like that. I hear that it's also cheaper to travel to Miami from the Caribbean than within the Caribbean. Than inter-island, yes. It might not be cheaper ex- completely, but it's way too close in cost to go to Barbados than it is to go to Florida. It's obscene. We definitely need to do, that's a whole other economy thing though. <laughs> Moving on to, uh, the uh, specifically female sport, women's sport. Um, mm. I'm interested to to find out about the culture that was briefly alluded to it about the um, more opportunities for women to play in New York mm. than, than men. Uh, mm-hmm. Throughout the US, it, it seems to be uh, a reoccurring thing. Is there a difference between um, the approach to female sport in the Caribbean in on Trinidad uh, and and New York and the and US generally. Um, I don't know if it's fair to say sport across the board, but like with regards to hockey, because in the US it's primarily a female sport. Those are where the opportunities come, and then the overall US structure of how they do college sport as well helps. So compared to the opportunities that would be provided for for men. Um, in the region to go abroad and play the sport, like the first place they gravitate to is England. And the, and the way the sport is set up in England is so com- is completely different to how it's set up in the US. So for me, exam- for example, when I went away, I was on a full hockey scholarship. Um, so that included tuition, uh, accommodation, my books were covered, my food was covered. I literally just had to play the sport anything else like if I decided to work or when I did work uh, that was just like pocket money for me uh, if I could squeeze to work in versus I think in, in, in England there was a battle between kind of where you're going to live if you're living on campus if you're going to be able to afford your food like there's like a little bit of different nuances where you kind of had to work versus for me I didn't have to work my working was to cover my like recreation um versus i think in england for the boys they had to cover like their living um and that obviously creates its disparities so you have a lot more girls or females going to the u.s to play because the opportunity is easier and it's still at the high level that you want it to be uh versus the guys so you see a lot more girls going away on scholarships and getting that opportunity versus guys going on scholarships and even just making it to the end of their scholarship period. So the opportunity for, for Caribbean women, a hockey, female hockey players to go mm. to the States is stronger, it's greater than it is for male hockey Caribbean players. Um, so the male uh, hockey players from the Caribbean go to, to Europe. England. Yeah, England. Europe, yeah. Uh, or, or, or specifically England, is it? or? Um, so mainly England, there's a couple of people who have like branched off and gone to different areas, but a lot of the first stops are like England and that's probably more through the connection with Quan and stuff like that. So Quan Brown's been helping that out, has he? Mm-hmm. What's, what are the visa regulations like? Has that changed recently? And there's been a political, uh, hee-haw in the UK recently about Caribbean migration. Um, I'm not absolutely familiar with the U, sorry, the Europe version of it. Um, uh, I think there's always stipulations when you're talking about student athletes over just, uh, or students over just a general person trying to migrate. 
students tend to have different channels as it pertains to migration. But I'm not absolutely familiar with the Europe version of it. How, how politically speaking, what are, mm -hmm. the, what are the connections with um, Trinidad and Tobago and the UK? I think it's pretty open. So, like, because we're a former colony, there's a lot more open. Um, it's easier to get, like, a, I don't even know if you need a visa to go to England. I don't think I've ever used a visa to go to England. <laughs> I, 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 I think world-class sporty types get preferential treatment, don't they? Yeah, but I, yeah, but I don't think I'm like. Yeah, like, like yeah. Mate, I, I was watching you umpire at the at the World Cup in London a couple of years, twenty eighteen. I think you walked past me one once or twice actually. Ah. <laughs> I um, don't know who you were. To... But uh, uh, I'm then so across Europe, the difference is like very recently, the last couple of years. I know that we were opened up to go through the Shenzhen region. Um, so you, needed, you could have gotten into the Shenzhen region without a visa. And then I think me traveling through like Holland, I think Holland was like one of the easiest immigration processes I've ever been through, ever. Like somebody, the girl asked me like one question and I looked at her with everybody else ahead of me and she would literally ask one question and let them on the way and as soon as they tried to answer more than the question she gave she kind of like stopped them she's like that's not what i'm asking you i need you to answer my question so like uh, holland was pretty easy to get through um i think once you kind of land in europe and you prove that you should be there you know legitimately you're kind of a free-for-all at this point for caribbean people not a free-for-all but um you know, yeah, it's but, easier uh, to travel around i think the point of the Shenzhen is we, um, the Shenzhen thing is, it's it's. Not, not something was it's, it's a one v, one size fits all. V. Yes, yes. Polit, polit, we, we, we found that we, we found out a bit more about this during our Brexit referendum, our leaving mm. uh, um, the EU referendum, and uh, we found out that Britain wasn't actually part of the Shenzhen region, but we're still complaining about it. Which was bizarre to me. Plus, it's a big mm. bit of water between us and the and continental Europe. So, yeah. anyway, figured it out. <laughs> um, yeah, my my political. And then, yeah, rant. Um, and then I would go into the US. It's actually a bit more difficult for the average citizen to go and immigrate to the US. Like, you obviously need a visa and stuff like that, and. But when it comes to school, you have a specific student visa, you're supposed to in and out of the country. I've actually had instances whereby I remember coming home for during vacation and I had, I think it was right then to go to the Dominican Republic for a tournament. And I brought like all my obviously documentation home. But then when it was time to go to Santo Domingo, I didn't take any of that documentation because I was going to Santo Domingo. It has no affiliation to the U.S. at all. But we had to pass through Puerto Rico and I got stopped at immigration and all this stuff that I didn't have my documentation and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I'm in transit. So it's like a, a lot more serious. And um, when you travel as a student to and from the US, you have to walk with quite a bit of documentation to prove that you're a student and you're still enrolled in school and things like that. Yeah, I, I, I had the same thing going to Mexico. Um, I, I got a connecting flight uh, through, uh, I think it was Chicago, but somewhere, somewhere in the US. And, mm. and as soon as you step off the plane, you, you, you're in America. Mm -hmm. So you have to get, I spent something like 25 US dollars, I think it was, um, for, for uh, is it an Esther? Um, mm. uh, just, just, yeah. just to hang out in Chicago airport for an hour mm. and a half. Yeah, so I, in that same situation where I had to like produce my documentation, after a lot of like immigration, immigration, immigration stuff, and they let me through, I was told to make sure and have my documentation upon my return. So luckily, like there were people who were coming later from Trinidad to the Dominican Republic. So my mom just gave them my documents and I came back easily. But from then, for about the next two to three years, every time I went back into the U.S., I was sent to secondary ex inspection because I had this like thing on my back, you know, kind of on my back as to like you were trying to sneak into the country. So I'd go into secondary inspection, prove to them that I still enrolled in classes, prove to them that I still had my scholarship for like two years. So leaving 
U.S. immigration um, during that period would be an extra hour and a half onto my trip. So, swinging back round to the uh, to New York Islanders and mm -hmm. uh, the culture around uh, female sport, women's sport, is there is there an equilibrium with the men's team? Uh, as the women's team and the men's team integrated quite well? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think they integrate type quite well. Um, and they kind of perform the same. I think the, the women's team kind of dropped off in the last couple of years. Um, and I think it's just like the nature of sports almost with women. Um, they tend to have these lull periods, I guess. And I don't think people are immigrating as often um as like the boom of the 80s where everybody was traveling and trying to migrate to different countries um there is a level of parity uh there was i should say a level of parity now it's a bit of a struggle uh i definitely don't think in general that a lot of people are immigrating anymore so the islanders i think have struggled a bit in that forum getting people to just in general travel or whatever it may be. Uh, they try to, in terms of like, the social aspect, everybody's included, everybody's like family, but on a hockey level, they're just not getting the amount of people migrating and more so women migrating over. Who, who were, who are the big personalities in the islanders? <sighs> So I would say big personality-wise would be Andre Ferguson, who I think you spoke to, um, John Boyce, which is definitely a very vocal person in the club. You have the old school people like um, Euclid, which is very dominant, who's very dominant, always been around like the father slash grandfather of the club, for sure. On the women's side, at least in my time, there's Purina, formerly Nualo now, I believe Ferguson, which is Andre's wife. She's been around very much a mother, but like sister figure within the club. Um, she definitely holds everybody together. And um, who else? And then Michelle Howard, Michelle Juilliard, let me correct myself. Uh, she as well, again, another major fixture on the club that provides that, you know, big sister uh, to the younger, to the younger players just kind of maintains that same feeling you would have when you're at home at a club and the senior members kind of take you under the wing. I know you're supposed to have chats with, like, you know, you've chatted with Andre, Andy. Um, I think probably if you get the opportunity to, John Boyce would be a good person as well as they provide big personalities. I'm chatting to John Boyce on Thursday. Perfect. Yep. Uh, it's a nice big personality for you. I'm chatting to Michelle Juilliard, Nay uh, uh, Howard on Friday. Um, any messages? Yeah. Any or oh, any Sorry? stories about them? Any, any stories about them? So John Boyce and I actually share a birthday. Um, so we every time you know we kind of interact is always like happy birthday twin. Um, I don't know, let anybody spaz out. Michelle, probably not. She's always just really the perfect little big, perfect big sister, keeping us in check. Uh, you could probably ask her about her current little sister, Lynn. Uh, just ask her about her relationship with Lynn, like that big sister, little sister kind of vibe. They're very fun together in terms of, you know, Lynn is probably uh, a few years younger than us, but definitely stepping into a more senior role in the club as it pertains to the women. And she's, you know, very much gone through all the transitions of leaving the islands, going to university and kind of being out on her own, but finding solace in the New York Islanders and finding solace in people like uh, Michelle and Karina. And then John, just ask him about his craziest times tournament times because i'm sure he has a number of stories he's quite the character the entertaining character does the fih pro league help uh, hockey 
in or add to the culture of hockey in the Caribbean and New York? I think the Pro League is such an exceptional um, display of hockey. It's exciting, I think, as well, because of how it works out for the Caribbean. We basically get, at least in Trinidad, we've been able to get a lot of the footage and the video and without having to pay for it. So it has exposed a lot more hockey and its availability and just seeing it on that level. Um, I, I also believe that for me personally, because I'm at that tier of the games and having somebody that um, is there, I guess, basically representing the region, I've actually been really impressed and felt just the, uh, such a large amount of support from the Caribbean region with regards to even just being on that level. So I would constantly get messages as to, oh, I saw you on the TV today and I had to stop and watch the whole game as a result, just with you know having a Caribbean person affiliated at that level. And then myself um, and my team back home just telling people like, this is on, that's on, like the conversation is a lot more. And you get a lot of conversation even in the New York teams where it's like, oh, did you see this? Did you see that? You know, if I'm at a, if I'm at like a fun tournament and we have opportunities to like sit and watch a game, I could like use my login in the US and show games. It's like, look at this. What do you think about this? Or that type of stuff. So I definitely think it's such an awesome display of the level of hockey that we can have and teams and players can strive for. It's just like, I really like the level of hockey that's there at the pro league. Like I watch some and I'm like, this is like, this could be a really major opportunity for sport as a whole because it's so exciting, but I might be biased. Has it helped develop uh, hockey in the Caribbean or East Coast of America? Has it, would, would purely promoting its predecessor, the World League, better, effect, mm. uh, a wider effect? Uh, I definitely think it's, think it's too, it's like apples and oranges, unfortunately. Uh, the World League provided a lot more opportunity for different level countries to interact and see how they actually stack up on the world stage because you know you automatically assume maybe Trinidad will always get beaten by any level European team but that's not the case um, there was a lot more exposure for players across the world on different levels to play versus pro league is more of just the dominant hockey countries display any sports in the most exciting way so almost like pro league would provide the viewership for hockey while the world league will provide the athletes or the foundation for hockey so it's like two different things i think but having a a broader league structure with promotion and relegation perhaps even uh regionalizing regionalizing lower down leagues for the um for teams with uh economic um smaller economic backgrounds help that so you still have the top tier pro league with all the money and and the pr but then have the promotion relegation situation i think if there is if there is a lot more sponsorship to come into it, and um, it will be necessary, it will it will definitely help. But I think there is space for both different both formats. Um, maybe yes, a promotion relegation, um, but with the pro league, you obviously want to maintain a certain level of the sport, um, and you don't want a team coming in to you top tier pro, you know performance and getting thrashed nobody wants to see a team get thrashed it's never really fun so you want to make sure that even though it's promotion relegation um the level remains the same um and the world league can help identify that what we saw from like the world series 
that they ruled out last year or the last two years is almost like these same teams end up bubbling up to the top or, you know, kind of thing. So it kind of showed that maybe there is, we should keep it separated in terms of the pro league with the top elite countries and then the world league given that opportunity um, with possibly an opportunity to let one or two in and see how they perform. With the USA, for example, um, the USA yep. ladies team, who let's face it, are, are, are have been more successful than the men's recently. Um, was it was it eight nil in the pro league match against the Dutch? Yeah, I think the pro league caught the US team at a really tough time in their transition. A lot of teams go through transitional periods um, and it's destined to happen. They're probably the only team that has been like able to successfully stay on top while doing it as a Dutch team during a transition. Um, but uh, the Pro League kind of just happened. It's almost like a perfect storm for the US where we're going through a transition with players, we're going through a transition with coaching staff, and we're now expected to play at the best possible hockey and the hardest teams ever. Uh, at the same time. So I think it was just a perfect storm of not, you know, that will allow them to not be as successful as they possibly can. But there's a lot of opportunity for them. The U.S. still maintains that they have really strong players and they can develop really exceptional athletes. It's just getting back to that phase, I think, and with the right leadership, which I hope they do have now, they can get back where they need to be and not be... um, unfortunately stuck in getting 8-0 from a Dutch team. I think they can definitely be a little bit more, a lot more competitive once they've settled down. So thinking about back to the World Cup, which I, I saw you umpiring in London, Spain finished third. Uh, Spanish women mm. third, uh, currently ranked seventh. Uh, Ireland finished second, currently ranked eighth in the world. India did moderately well, the company ranked ninth in the world. Um, China were there, but because of uh, the incident of Wuhan, they've been playing. Japan, I loved watching Japan playing. Oh, they were so exceptional. They were so uh, ready for the Olympics this year. So unlucky with that, uh, ranked 13th. Uh, the USA, all of whom are not in the women's section of the Pro League. USA women ranked 15th are. Mm. Um, well, it original when you, when the pro league started, they were ranked a lot higher, and it's really I feel for them as I said, it's like a perfect storm. So while they were going through this transitional period and they were destined to like not do as well, they've been put in the hardest level of competition. So when you have to judge it from when actually pro league started and the development of the idea of pro league, where were they ranked? They were ranked in the top ten. Over the time, they've had a tough time in Pro League. They have a tough time at other tournaments because they're expected to be at least at the elite tournaments and they lost their, and you kind of, they lost ranking spots. All the teams that you're talking about, Spain, Ireland, who had an exceptional run, they were in those teenage rounds and had a brilliant World Cup. And you can't deny the fact that they had a brilliant World Cup. They got a, a bunch of points and the gaps are so small, they just move the chips around pretty easily. Um, so, and then I believe when they signed on for the pro league, they signed on for at least two cycles, you know, just to get it going. So they've signed on for like these two cycles and then they're transitioning. So they're forced to stay in this cycle when they probably needed to be out to recover and then come back in. So I don't think it's like their fault or it's like any bias towards them. It's where they were when the pro league got developed. Similarly, with where was Ireland when the Pro League got developed, got developed? Could they have performed at that level throughout? Like, brilliant watching um, Ireland perform at the World Cup because they won when they were supposed to win, they drew when they were supposed to do to draw. Um, and a lot of those, it's almost like the World Cup of the underdogs. Like, the way they were performing was just unbelievable and nobody expected it if you're interested Trinidad and Tobago ladies ranked 51st uh, good to know 
Um, you said Subway Mike Clements. <laughs> and above Jamaica, if you're interested. <laughs> yeah, we need to claim our spot back above Barbados. I am McLean, FA umpire, it's all in there. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me once again. I look forward to hearing this publication when it comes out. I'm excited to hear about our lovely Caribbean teams and how we're impacting the world. Uh, for more from, from Ion McLean, please visit um, previous series of ours, the Pan American Hockey Specials and Whistleblowers, as well as our YouTube videos where you can listen to uh, highlights of those episodes. This has been a Half Court Press production by Teo McLeod.